Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. We have been doing a, uh, something definitely different for us uh, over the course of the six-ish or so years we've been doing uh, this thing called Life Journey Church. Uh, the vast majority, 99-plus percent of it is uh, an individual, myself, someone else, standing and talking. And uh, that's the second tone. Uh, there'll be three before they roll it over to another department. But um, they're, they're, we normally, it's, you know, standing and talking and listening, absorbing and thinking. We tend to, the last couple of years, have a few minutes at the end to sort of discuss, ask questions. Hey, that made me think about this. But uh, a couple of weeks ago when we finished uh, our Titus series, there was a lot of good questions coming out. And I thought, hey... Here's a good opportunity for us to spend a few, uh, actually I was thinking just one Sunday, but it's kind of bled into several other Sundays of what, uh, of some questions about Christianity in general, about Titus specifically, and there's just been some really neat thought-provoking questions that have come forward. I showed you this last week, and I'll just do a quick reminder that 1 Corinthians, if you think about it, was really a question and answer um, book. The Corinthians wrote questions to Paul, and then Paul wrote them back the answers to their questions. And we know that because here in chapter 7, he says, now concerning the things which you wrote. And he answers their questions about marriage, about virgins, about uh, spiritual gifts, about you know, all sorts of stuff. Now concerning what, what you asked about such and such. And then he wrote some answers. And so the questions and answers isn't new. Um, it's just different from what we normally do. So hopefully it's been encouraging. Hopefully a question that you have been pondering has been asked. And if not, then I encourage you to submit that question. You can submit it to the podcast, I mean to the podcast, to the website at questions.lifejourneyva.com. Or you can just say, hey, here's the question. Just throw it up and, you know, share the question. So with that being said, um, I have, oh, and they're in the the ones that have been submitted, I put into the um, Bible app as well. So you kind of know what's in the queue, if you will. Uh, and I'm happy to jump into those. But as I like to do, I like to uh, give those who are in the flesh here, uh, not like in the flesh, but like in person here. You're in the spirit if you're in Christ, but, uh, but you're in person uh, um, the chance to f ask a question first before we jump into some of these. Now, I know that some of you may have submitted these questions. I know we get a lot of our questions from our podcast listeners, but I would love to give first priority to those who are actually here. 
Um, and if you're thinking of a question, I, let me say one other thing. Last week, we took time for me to ask you a question about this quote that I found in a Christian magazine about, um, here comes some of the responders. So again, we might, they might run in and grab their stuff and go, but we'll just bless them on their way. Um, but I, it, was, it was taken from this uh, prayer conference uh, that the, the, the guy who was uh, attributed the quote uh, uh, spoke at. And I went back and I actually listened, watched and listened to the whole prayer conference. And um, it, was, it, was, uh, it was as bad as, you know, I was afraid it was. And um, there was a great emphasis on how we as Christians today have forgotten how holy God is. And we just throw around these terms like love and grace and we've forgotten how holy he is. You know, he's holy. And so don't you begin to treat him as though he's not by thinking you can just buddy up to him because he's holy. Is God holy? Everybody say yes. And what has he made you? Holy. Holy. So we're not degrading the holiness of God by emphasizing the love of God. In fact, holiness, what is holy about God? Holy means other, separate, unique, unlike anything else. What is holy about God? His love. love. His grace. His mercy. His, he, he, everything about him, all his attributes is what makes him holy. His holiness is not this, is not, um, uh, because, and because we are now of him and born of him, which one of our questions hopefully we'll get to today really is asking about that. Because we're now holy as he is, born of him, there is nothing that stands between us and him. You guys can come on in. Let them, let them come on in to get their stuff. Jay, you guys come on in and grab your stuff if you need to. Yeah, by all means. No, you're good. We knew this would happen. It's all good. Um, and so... We, uh, and if there's anybody else, please let them know to come on in and grab their stuff. All right? Yeah, man. Um, be safe. And so, uh, anyways, the, uh, so we're not, we're not lowering or lessening or challenging or questioning the holiness of God. We're believing what he's actually said in the scriptures that he's done. And he's made us holy. Now, is Sin still in these bodies, still in the flesh? Yes. And we have choices to make of walking in our holiness or walking by the flesh. But we seek and desire to walk by the new heart, by the holiness of Christ within. So I hope that clarifies some of that because we're by no means uh, saying, hey, we're taking God's holiness and, and, and reducing it down so that he can kind of hang out with man. That's not the gospel. The gospel, he is as holy as he's ever been. And he reached down through Christ to take away our sin and wretchedness and kill us through uh, crucifixion with Christ so that we, by a new birth, can be born of his holiness as he is. So are we now in this world. So we're not questioning his holiness. We're participators in his holiness. It's awesome. Now, does that make you want to go rob the liquor store? No. That makes me want to be as we are. And it's so cool. All right. With that being said, any, uh, any questions that have come out or maybe you see a question on the list that you want to, you know, move to the top of the queue, you know, say it right now. We'll be happy to throw it out. But any questions that are on your heart right now? Yes, sir. Uh, just uh, reflecting on the last song 
that we sang, and then your comments about the holiness of God and, and how he sees us. And in that song, at one point, it said something to the effect of being the wretched person. And then I was thinking, like in the form of a question, did God ever see me as a believer or you as wretched? I mean, ever, at any time. And, and what I'm thinking of is back in the Garden of Eden, mm -hmm. when we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God comes and he says, why are you hiding? Mm -hmm. And then they said, because we are naked. Or mm -hmm. maybe even put there, I feel wretched. Mm -hmm. And then God said, who told you that? Right. And, and then just looking a little big picture here, do we, I guess, err if we think God saw us as that? Or right. is this an identity that we took on and believe actually a lie? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. No, that's a great question. I don't have the lyric. Is it still pulled up right here? Um, yeah. Um, but, but lyric or not, the question remains. You know, is there, is, even before we were born again, did God see us as wretched, wicked, sinful, etc.? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I'm not suggesting that they believe that God saw them as wretched. I'm only... I'm only asking the question, mm -hmm. is that us that took that identity on? Right. And certainly I can see how we feel yeah. if we don't know that. Yeah, that's a great question because the scripture clearly says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So when you take that at face value, it sounds like on the cross, the entire Adamic race was plunged into death, counting their trespasses against them no more. And so post the cross, now I can't really say anything about before the cross because I'm not exactly sure, but certainly post the cross, it sounds like Paul is saying the entire world, the trespasses are no longer being counted because of the work of Christ. Now, does that equate to, therefore, everyone has been born again? And that's the question that we have to say, well, at least for me, no, of course not. Because Paul then goes on to say, therefore, God has reconciled himself to you. He has done the work of removing the sin of the world, the world. So he sees you not in your sins, iniquities. He has removed them. Now, the question is, are you going to believe it or not? Are you going to be reconciled to him? That's how he continues that chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So he has given us this ministry of reconciliation that through us we're pleading with you to believe so that you can be reconciled to him. So the way I am comfortable at, at least envisioning that, seeing that, is because of the cross, sin is no longer the issue. It has not been the issue for 2,000 years as far as God's concerned. Once and for all, sin is done. But now the question comes, shall I not find faith? Is there gonna be, are there going to be people who are going to believe what I've done on the cross? 
with, through, through my son. And when you believe, that's the moment at which you are born of his spirit. You enter into what he's done. Now you've got the question of, okay, you've got time and space. At what point were Walt Davis's sins actually forgiven? Was it in 1993 when I believed or was it 2,000 years ago? You see, God works outside of space. He, he's outside of time. He's not limited by that. Uh, in fact, Revelation says that the Lamb of God was crucified before the foundation of the world. So like before time even began, this was a, 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 a sin was a, a done deal in the mind of God. And so we are linear thinkers, linear minds. And so we linearly see it for me before 1993, I was dead in my sins, as Paul talks about, you know, in Ephesians 2, dead in my sins, following the course of this world. But God, being rich in his mercy, for me, in 1993, made me alive together with Christ. It is by grace I've been saved. And so now I know that at least from that age, uh, from 1993 to present, not only are my sins forgiven, but I've been born of his spirit and I am uh, in union with him, etc. But it's a good question that you could of even when talking to an unbeliever, let me pose it that way. When talking with an unbeliever who's maybe searching, trying to figure things out, must we, as those who are trying to reconcile them to God by sharing our faith with them, must we try to bury them in guilt and condemnation of sins? That's certainly what Jesus seemed to do in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. But that was before what? Before the cross. Exactly. How does Paul do it in 2 Corinthians 5? I just said. He says, look at what God has done, not counting trespasses. Now look, what's your response to that? Are you going to believe that or not? So I think it's a unique opportunity we have when communicating what Jesus really did. Do you not see? Do you not? Can you believe that he has actually taken away sin? Sin is not an issue anymore. If sin is an issue, then what, what's going to take it away? It, only the shedding of blood takes it away. So look at what he's done. Now, are you going to believe it or not? So there must be faith. We must step into it. We must receive it. But... But I just don't think we have to, maybe we do, I, I could be wrong, but I just don't think we have to beat people, unbelievers, up to a pulp to where they feel this incredible um, anxiety of guilt and shame over sins that God no longer even counts. Because it's not a sin counting issue, it's a faith issue. Do you believe or not? Does that make some sense? I don't know if that's helpful or if that is in line with the question or not. I think, I think to your point about I'm thinking that an unbeliever has already taken that identity. You don't have to. Do yeah, it. that's a good point. Yeah. And so and we're here to say that is not your identity or my identity. Yeah. God has reconciled the world to yeah. So maybe a good way to look at it is like we've talked about Adam naming the animals. God brought all the animals in front of him. And he, he named them, but none of them were compatible with him as a mate. I have suggested to you over the years that that's a picture of how all of humanity was not, because of Adam, not compatible with Jesus. And so Jesus, as Adam went into a sleep and God pulled Eve from her, Jesus went into a greater sleep, 
death on a cross and God pulled, metaphorically speaking, a birthed the, the church from him that was now compatible with Christ. So were the animals incompatible with Adam because of some sin issue? They were incompatible with him, not because of some sin issue. They were incompatible with Adam because they were not of Adam. They were not the same as Adam. They were not holy like Adam. Adam was holy from the animals. He was different. He was unique. He was separate. He was uncommon. They were common. And so the issue wasn't sin. The issue was they're not like me. They're not of me. And so when you pass the cross and you see that the, the, the substitutionary atonement, the ending of sin has happened, well, what remains? Well, the, the slate could be totally clean, even for an unbeliever. But until we are of him by faith in him, we are not compatible with him. So I could be dead wrong on that, but that's, that's how I see it. I'm just not sure we have to, you know, I, I, I think we should do what Paul does. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world, not counting sins. Are you going to believe that or not? Yes or no? <laughs> that's a, so, yeah. So one thing as believers, you know, that I think it's important for us to realize what our job is oh. and what God's job is. And to me, God, my job is, well, first thing is not to cast judgment on somebody. That's Jesus' job, right? I mean, that's, that's he's... And, and so I look and say whether that judgment is good or bad, mm -hmm. um, that's not, we're simply to love mm -hmm. and to love others, love, love everywhere, regardless, like, like Christ did. I think the, the flip, flip side of that, too, is that as for casting conviction on somebody, we know that the Holy Spirit convicts the unbeliever. Let right. the Holy Spirit do it. Yeah, job, right. You know? yeah. Let the Holy Spirit do what it needs to do right. in bringing people to Christ and we're there to love as well. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Bob, you had a word? Or a question or a thought or something? Just, um, but, you know, looking at the word just in dictionary, uh, wretched, that you were talking about, it's saying uh, a person in a very unhappy or unfortunate state. Um, also, um, if I can get to it quickly. Um, so in Romans 7, 24, maybe a little before then. Mm -hmm. um, oh, wretched man that I am. Yeah, Paul's mm -hmm. talking about two states. Mm -hmm. wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this, from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, 
I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. And I don't know, I think it's an unfortunate state to just be under the law of sin. To mm -hmm. me, that's unfortunate. Yeah. But because of Christ, there is a new creation in us. Right. We're still in these physical bodies that still right. sin and wage war with that new yeah. creation in us. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really cool. The new creation that, in us is not wretched. Correct. That's right. Not an state. Exactly. So I real I'm really glad that you actually went to Romans seven on that because I wasn't even thinking that way. This is the coolness of you know having the body working together like this. So the question really, because he does say right there, I mean, it's black and white. Oh, wretched man that I am. Romans 7, 24. The question that I think we have to ask is, what is the context in chapter 7, in chapter 6, in chapter 5, everything that's led up to that? And we, I don't want to take the rest of our time to like expose it, you know, completely. But what I think is very important for us is to at least consider the possibility that that section of Romans chapter 7, starting, where is it, uh, Jim? Starting in verse, um, uh, um, um, nine. Starting in verse 9, I think it is. Um, It might not be right, but I think he begins telling the story of of his own his own realization that even the law could not make him okay. I think he's telling the story of little Saul of Tarsus when little Saul of Tarsus became aware of the law and how the law he thought had the promises to actually bring about behavior change, behavior improvement, righteousness, and how he realized, on the contrary, it was the law itself that actually caused him to do even more sinning. In verse 7, he says, um, I would have not known what sin was except for the law. And then that the law being thou shalt not co covet, that's when sin took the opportunity by the commandment produced evil desires within me. And so it was the law that produced these evil desires of coveting when the law said thou shalt not covet. And so he gives a story. He tells them the rest of chapter 7, my opinion, that here's how it worked in my life. He's testifying to little Saul of Tarsus when I was placed under the law in, little, in Hebrew school and I started to learn the law. I knew that there was a peace in me, even the old dead heart that wanted to glorify, wanted to do right, but I found another principle alive called sin that I was joined to, I was enchained to, and no matter what I, even the dead heart wanted to do right, it's the knowledge of good and evil, I wanted to do right, I was discovering that I just couldn't. And that's the revelation Oh, wretched man, little Saul of Tarsus that I am, who will set me free? And that's when he finds Jesus and he gives glory to Jesus, thanking Jesus who actually set him free. When was Saul of Tarsus set free? On the road to Damascus. So I think Paul is actually not talking about his life as a believer, calling himself wretched here. 
because there's actually, Jim, can you help me? Uh, oh, yeah, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. When we read Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd, Thessalonians, etc., do we hear Paul describing believers as carnal in bondage to sin? Not at all. I think he's telling the story of, hey, here's what happened to me. I was in bondage, sold to sin. As I put myself under the law, thou shalt not covet, I realized all sorts of coveting. And then I got to this point of realizing, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to rescue me? And then that's where Jesus came in to rescue me. And then chapter 8, verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So I would submit even that chapter 7 where he says, oh, wretched man I am, he's, he's not referring to his life post-Christ. I think he's giving his story. He's testifying to that the law... I fought the law, and the law won. Is what he's testifying to, in my opinion. Does that make sense? That's, that's, not, that's, not, a, that's not a common interpretation. Even my, my hero in the faith, if you will, James Barron, he doesn't see it that way. But I think that's a better way of seeing it. You know, otherwise, we have to really twist some stuff for him to call believers carnal, sold in, into yeah. bondage to sin. Yeah. It is. It is. Amen. Hebrews 9, like the last verse of Hebrews 9, I think it is, says that the Lord, when he returns, he will return with no reference to sin. Anybody's, to any sin. But he will return for those who eagerly await him. So why will Jesus return with no reference to sin? In his second coming. Because his first coming took it away. So which I think is the whole point of Hebrews. Like, why are we so sin conscious, so sin worried? Because look at the lamb who actually took it away. Let's be faith conscious, not sin conscious. Um, it's a better way to live. Cool. Awesome. Any other questions or thoughts? Um, new question? Old question? Clarify? Hey, but so what does that mean about this? Or how does that affect this over here? Or we could go to the, one of these that have been pre-submitted. I saw one that was, if nobody else has a question, um, I saw the one that was pre-submitted that I think is um, probably, I, to me it seems like something that's a little bit more basic, but I think that it seriously needs to be covered if people still have questions about it, and that was um, regarding the difference between believing in God and believing that God is there. Okay. The one about, out of John 3? Yeah. Okay. So I think I have it up here on the slides. Um, I think it's the next one here. Yeah. So the question came in. It says, please explain. You can turn to John 3 if you'd like in your Bible. Please explain John chapter 3. And the specific uh, phrase there is verse uh, 3 through 7. And then down in verse 18. The question, and this goes really right along with what we were talking about just now, so I'm, I was, I'm glad that you uh, transitioned to that question. 
How does one become born of the Spirit of God or born a second time so that they enter into the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Let's just pause right there. I think that's a set of questions. That's why I put a separation here. And then I think this is a set of questions. They're related, but let's don't worry about this part just yet. Let's, let's focus up here. So how does one become born of the Spirit of God or born a second time? So let's, in John chapter 3, real quickly, I'll, uh, they say verse seven, 3 through 7, but I'm going to pick up in verse 1 and we'll get a rolling start here. The, and I'm reading out of the New King James. My iPad fell and, and broke, and so I don't have a New American Standard in front of me. But so if it sounds a little different than you, we normally hear, that's why. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Um, now remember, Pharisees, they were very upset that this Jesus guy was on the scene. Eventually, it was the Pharisees, the scribes, whom Jesus called uh, hypocrites and uh, all sorts of other names, dogs, you know, that led the charge for him to be crucified. So this is Nicodemus coming at night, we'll see in the next verse, to ask him some questions because he's kind of impressed with them. Verse 2, this man Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, I think because Nicodemus didn't want to be seen, and said to him, Rabbi, which means uh, teacher, a, respect, a term of respect, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. What signs? Well, a variety of miracles, a variety of... I don't know exactly when the timing is in this, uh, when this happened in the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry. But certainly he's talking about the miracles. He's talking about, you know... Uh, his teachings and the miraculous things that have happened, the crowds that are following. And so Nicodemus is wanting to get the inside scoop. What is this all about? And Jesus, in Jesus' typical fashion, verse 3 says to him, Most assuredly, I say, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, Craig, you have in New American Standard, right? What is that? Is that word, is it see the kingdom of God in, in verse 3 in New American yeah, Standard? Cannot see. see. Okay. So cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4. Nicodemus asked him, how can a man be born when he's old? He's thinking completely, you know, physical. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? Which we read that, you know, and we're like, really? That was the level of ignorance, you know, that they had. But, you know, they, they didn't know. They, they, it was all about a physical kingdom, a physical, you know, uh, 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 kingdom in, in Israel that was going to be restored to the Davidic, you know, glory. They didn't understand a spiritual reality. And so uh, Jesus, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? What are you talking about, Jesus? Jesus answered, verse 5, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel uh, that I said to you, you must be born Again, a couple of thoughts. The question is, what, how does one be, 
become born of the Spirit of God or born a second time so that they enter the kingdom of God. I don't know if a translation, that's why I asked if the NASB, New American Standard said enter versus see. Does anybody's translation use the word enter instead of see in verse, what was it, three? Three says C and then five says enter. Oh, I just read it. Five says so, um, you cannot enter the kingdom. Okay, cool, perfect, thanks. So what? Um, what? What? The question: How does one be born of the Spirit of God? So obviously Jesus shows up, and and there is a very clear misunderstanding of what Jesus is actually there to do. All the disciples, all the followers, they really think that this is when finally the Messiah has come to establish this physical kingdom here on earth. I, one of the disciples later in Jesus's ministry even says, is it now, is now the time that we shall, you know, establish this kingdom? And uh, Jesus, you know, scratching his head like, guys, this isn't what this is all about. It's bigger than this. It's bigger than Israel. It's bigger than, you know, a, 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 a couple of acres of land in the Middle East. And so what Jesus explains to Nicodemus is, look, it's not just about this physical being born into the kingdom of Israel. That's wonderful. But there's actually a second birth. There's another reality that has to take place. Of course, Nicodemus doesn't understand it. And so Jesus, you know, explains it some, but he doesn't explain it full. And even through the rest of the chapter, he doesn't explain it completely because he had not yet been crucified. We have to remember that, that throughout his parables, throughout his teaching, he explains things that we can go back with a revelation of the how things ended up. And we say, oh, wow, that's what Jesus was talking about. But he keeps things under uh, under his belt. He keeps things hidden, even though he's explaining some things. Because his, his time had not yet come. First Corinthians even says that if the powers and the rulers of this world knew that Jesus was who he was, they would not have crucified him. Because when Satan led the charge of crucifixion through all of the people, including Judas, the hope was we are killing the Messiah. We're killing the Son of God to end this potential you know, reign of, of God and Satan can finally have, you know, the dominion, the power because the son of God is dead. But what they didn't know was that was the very means by which the rescuing of humanity would come because as Jesus hung on the cross, it was all of humanity hanging on the cross in him, as we talked about earlier. And so the question is, how does one be born again? Well, if you read down a little bit further uh, go to verse uh, 15. It says, well, verse, well, let's skip up to um, verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So in Exodus, you read this story. As Exodus, I think it's in Numbers, actually. You read this story about how the Israelites in the wilderness, they were bitten by serpents, bitten by snakes. And everyone who was bitten by these snakes began to die. And so the, the Moses pleaded to the Lord and the Lord told Moses to take a, uh, a, make a bronze serpent and raise it up so that anyone who looked on this bronze serpent, which was lifted up, whoever looked and believed would be healed from this bite that had come into them. 
It's all, it was all a picture, a shadow, the bite of the serpent being the infection of sin. And, and subsequently, after sin came into the world, then death came into the world. And so it was a shadow, a picture of how Adam and Eve had sinned. And with that sin, the bite of sin came the sting of death. And so as Moses lifted up that bronze serpent, which was as the serpents, but different, just as Jesus was a human, but he was different. He was Goal, he was God himself lifted up and all who believe like those children of Israel who believed this strange message, this strange word. I mean, could you imagine going into hypervolemic shock and like all this sort, sort of stuff because of, a, because of a adder bite and all of a sudden you hear someone say, hey, just look at that shiny thing and believe that God can do something and you'll be healed. And like, who would, I mean, does that make any sense? If, to some it did. They're like, hey, I know I'm about to die. I'll believe anything right now. But to others, can't you just imagine them saying, that won't work? Without how silly that is. A perfect shadow of what we have today where humanity has been given an opportunity to look upon the Son of God and believe. Believe something silly, if you will. Something strange. Paul says that it is foolishness to the, to the Gentiles. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. It, to look upon a man who is saying that he is the son of God, taking away the sin of the world, that by believing him, just as they were looking at this uh, serpent in the wilderness, by believing him, it takes away that sting of, of death and the bite of the serpent. Looking upon the Christ takes away, and believing takes away the bite of sin and the sting of death. How silly that is. But for those who do believe, just as in the wilderness, they were healed. They were saved. And today, just as the same, those who believe, who say, I have no hope but that. I see my death. It's pending. I need someone else to save me, to rescue me from what I know I have in me. This bite of sin, the sting of death. They will believe. They, they will be saved. Verse 14, verse 15, that whoever believes in him, Jesus, should not perish. The result of the bite of sin, but have eternal life. Verse 16, very, you've probably heard this verse before. For God, he's explaining this. So love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. That's the condition. That's what's going to happen, but have everlasting life. So, and I'm going to get to 16 and uh, 17 and 18 in this section down here. So the question very simply, how does one become born of the spirit? What must we do? It, it, it sounds very silly if you really just parse it out. We must believe. We must actually believe that Jesus Christ not only was a man, but that he was a God-man who hung on a cross and took for us our death so that by faith in him, we are actually participants in his death, in his burial, and also in his resurrection. We must come to the point where we say, I have no other hope, no other means by which I'm going to be saved from this perishing death, but Jesus alone. And when that happens, that's faith, that's trust, that's belief, that's total dependency upon someone else. Just remember, like Abel came 
And he brought the life of something else. Cain brought the work of his effort trying to reverse the curse. Remember the curse? The curse was that this land is going to be difficult to produce a crop. It's going to be thorny. It's going to be hard. Well, Cain worked extra, extra hard to reverse the curse. And he brought forth his fruit, his zucchini, his squash, Drake's favorite. He brought forth as a sign of, look what I did. I reversed the curse. Whereas Abel brought the life of a, of a, of a lamb. I'm not going to try to reverse this curse. I've got my trust in the life of something else. A, a, Cain's sacrifice was not accepted. It was rejected. But Abel's was gladly received because Abel realized, I can't reverse this. I'm putting my hope in the life of someone else. Now, how much Abel understood that, I don't know. Because that was early, early, early. But we can look back and see what's going on early, early, early. That we must not put any hope in our ability to, quote, reverse the curse, to improve behavior, to manage our sins. But we must fling our sole hope upon the Lamb of God who did take away. As that serpent was lifted up, as silly as that is. Think about it. In the same way, we look at the Lamb of God who take away the sin of the world. So how are we born again? It's by faith, by believing. Now what happens? Maybe this is more of the question. So what actually happens? Do we go into our mother's womb and come back out? No. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. So your mama gave birth to you just as that happens. So also in the spirit there is a birth. The very Spirit of God gives birth to this new creation upon faith. So when we, are, when we believe in Jesus, our old heart, our old dead heart is crucified. It is cut away. It's the circumcision of the flesh. We're between the body and the spirit. There is a circular cutting called a circumcision of the flesh, which, by the way, the whole circumcision of the Old Testament was all shadows of. It is taken away. It has crucified the old dead heart. And now from the very lawns of the Spirit of God, just as your very body came from the lawns of your mama and daddy, the very Spirit of God himself births the new you from his precious, holy, spotless spirit. And that's your new heart. That's your new identity. And that's why he says at first, Unless you're born of the kingdom, you cannot see the kingdom. So no one who is still born from below can see the kingdom because it's an incompatibility. But if we're born from the kingdom, then we can see the kingdom. And we can enter, as he says, as, as the parable of, uh, what is it, the, the sheep that enter, you know, and, and come in and out. We, we can enter in and, and be in the, the sweet presence of the Lord. And then we're also in this world. We're in and out in complete compatibility in this kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? It's, it's the spirit. It's he heaven. It's, you know, whatever other phrase you want to see. It's a parallel universe. Now, that sounds very sci-fi-ish, I know. Parallel universe. What was that show we used to watch? Fringe or something like that? You know, these parallel universe, like, whoa, this is, you know, should be like Twilight Zone. What are you talking about, Walt? You're getting crazy. Well, Jesus says in Mark, he says, I have come and I have bringing the kingdom of heaven with me. 
change your mind, repent about how you think this works, it's at hand. So Jesus has come to bring and brought the kingdom of heaven to earth so that those who believe his very body becomes the very door by which we exit the kingdom of this world and we enter the kingdom of heaven. And so to to say it's a parallel universe, a parallel world, I know that sounds kind of, you know, Star Trek-y sort of a deal, but I think that's exactly right on. I don't know if Star Trek has parallel universes. I'm just saying it sounds kind of weird. Let's just admit it. But I think that's exactly what it is because it's not of this world. It's a whole other reality. In fact, Paul says in Romans 2 that that which is seen, this world, was created to help us understand what that world, that kingdom, is actually like. When Jesus is about to be crucified, he's before Pilate, and Pilate says, you know, what is the truth, you know, and all this sort of stuff. And Jesus says, do you not realize that if I desired, I could call, you know, these angels? He says, my kingdom is not of this realm. So he's talking about a whole, you know, J.R. Token and those guys, uh, the, the Lion, the Witch, the Road Robe guy, who's that? C.S. Lewis. I was doing the ring thing for C.S. Lewis. You know, don't hold that against me. But um, you know what I'm talking about. Those guys saw it. Those guys saw it and they wrote about it to help their children understand parallel realities, parallel worlds that have collided when Jesus came to this world. So we exit this world and enter that by faith in the Son of God. I think that's so critical, too. In the past, looking to the law for direction, this is the Spirit of God comes into us, as you were saying, when you first have faith, when you first say, I don't have any other hope. Right. So I want you. Yes. And so that Spirit of God, then, like you said, in some weeks past, Paul could could have left where he established a church because he knew they were already hearing from the Spirit of God themselves and being led by God's Spirit. Yeah, right on. Absolutely. Yeah. In, in fact, Paul says that the law is not of what? Jim? The law is not of faith. The law is not of faith. So for those of us who still struggle with, but don't we need the law to manage our sins and modify our behavior? Well, shall I not find faith, Jesus says, and the scripture says the law is not of faith. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a best mathematician, but I can do that equation. It's not for us. You were going to say something, Kathy? Well, I just have, I would love to hear what your take on this is. So it seems so simple, just believe. Well, the Bible also says the demons believe and they mm-hmm. perish. Yeah. So. Jim wants to answer that one. I'm going to walk back to Jim. Shudder. Yeah. So did you hear the question? But the Bible also says in, in James, the demons believe. Well, if you go back to those passages, the question is that they believe God is one. And then it says the demons believe and they tremble. What are they believing? That God is one. There's only one God. So the demons know that, of course, because they were there in heaven before the fall. They know who, so they believe that God is one God, of course, and then they tremble. They're not believing for, you know, their sins being forgiven because Jesus didn't, he didn't die for the angels, he died for 
mankind. So I know that verse is always used, you know, to to say, well, you got to have works also, but in context, it that's not what it's talking about. Yeah, I've seen great. Maybe used more about that. It's it's not um, good enough to just believe, you know, with the intellect, but it's the will, the heart. Yeah, which is good, but I think, again, what Jim is saying is in the context, it is the, the, the Israelites, the Jews, they believed in God. I mean, they had been trying their best for generations to please him, to, uh, to, to, to satisfy him. I mean, they, nobody's going to believe more that God exists than, than the Jews. But what the writer is saying, James is saying, is like, look, even the demons believe that God exists is one that he is they tremble but it's but are what are what are you believing about this god and the jews they believe that he was uh holy that he was just that he you know if you fall out of line you better watch i mean that's but they didn't understand they were coming to faith they were coming to understand that wait a minute but he's also merciful, that he also has removed our sin. He has also, through his son, taken away the sin of the world, that my right, I can actually have the righteousness of God by faith. See, they were struggling in that belief. And so the writer James says, look, it's not sufficient to just believe that God is there and that he is uh, uh, wonderful and, and, and even vengeful and whatever. The demons are on board with you on that. But what the demons don't believe and what you're struggling to believe, dear Jews, is that because of the Son and because of the love for us, He has actually done a work to make us compatible. I, I like that word, compatible with Him. And so He was calling them, drawing them to not just have an intellectual knowledge, but to actually realize what He actually has done. What is the heart of the work of the Father on our behalf? And so... Um, so, yeah, great question, Kathy. Um, awesome. Uh, yeah, Jonas? I think part of the, the answer to Kathy's question was what you addressed in the very beginning of a people who profess Christianity and God. And, and then you said, unless this holy God, which you correctly say, unless you identify with that as a believer, and do you don't see yourself as one with that? There is a distance or a gap there. It's not yeah. one and the same. So somebody could believe and talk a lot about God, but if that doesn't, if you don't identify with that, in, in the case of believing that there is a God, there's redemption. But I don't see myself as that. Mm -hmm. Would make, I guess, in effect, God a liar, kind of. Yeah. He it's not trusting what he said. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, what is the kingdom of God? Okay. So, uh, so entering the kingdom of God is you have to be born of the kingdom. It's a, it's a talk about you know border security, border patrol. Like you cannot enter the kingdom unless you're born of the kingdom. You must be a citizen of the kingdom to enter, to be it, to see it. And so, a big deal, I think. So, I was at a funeral this this week uh, on Friday. And uh, one of the speakers um, did, did a really well job, but, but there was a recurring theme that the deceased 
um, is just now, upon his physical death, entering the kingdom of heaven. And that's a very common belief and maybe one that I probably had a long time ago myself. But that's not at all what the scripture teaches. Um, Paul says in, in Galatians, he says, Jerusalem above is our mother. Now, we are born of the, we are, we are citizens now of this kingdom. We don't enter it when we die. We are actually seated now at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus. It's a right now. Um, now, we don't see it fully, perfectly, obviously. That's where faith comes in. Um, so the second part here, he says, verse 18 says that those who believe in Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, are not judged. But those who don't believe are. A lot of people might believe, and this kind of gets into what we had just talked about, Kathy, uh, a historical fact that Jesus is the begotten Son of God. Does that make them born a second time? How do we, how do we know we or others are born of the Spirit of God? So I think that second part we definitely just uh, worked through with the James passage, but uh, the, the uh, believing that God is, that he is in existence, etc., uh, that's not the deal. It's believing the work, the heart of the Father, what he actually did, that he actually has loved you so much that he actually has taken away through his son everything that stands between you and him. And if you are willing to receive that as truth, to believe it, then that makes you his son, his daughter, because of faith. We've gotten wrapped up in this prayer, a sinner's prayer, which I'm not against a sinner's prayer necessarily. You know what I'm talking about? You know, Jesus, please come into my heart and save me from my sins. You know, I'm not... Anti, but nowhere in the scripture does it say if you pray this prayer, you are born of the Spirit of God. That's why in the six years of Life Journey Church, I've never said every head bowed, every eye closed. Uh, if you want to receive Jesus, pray this prayer because that's not how the apostles taught it at all. They taught about faith in Jesus. Hey, Drew, what's up, buddy? Um, and so what we have to... Uh, get to so we've had a lot of I've had a lot of people say even to me well if you doubt your salvation just pray that prayer again just keep on praying that prayer and one day it'll stick one day it'll stick the prayer will stick and that's again that's almost as heretical as a statement from last week right you know that we that we discussed that's nowhere in the scripture that's like if you just do it harder if you just you know mean it more and that's just back into a works-based sort of scenario what the scripture clearly teaches is faith. Do we trust? Are we believing that Jesus is it? Jesus plus nothing. If anything, Jesus plus our faith in him. And so, um, and that's exactly how Jesus says it. For, for whoever believes in him, verse 16, will not perish but have everlasting life. Leading up to verse 18, going into verse 17, says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Jesus didn't come to point out sins. He came to eradicate sins, to remove them. Verse 18, 
he who believes in him is not condemned. Other translations will say judged, is not judged. He who believes is not condemned. But he who does not believe, look at this, is condemned already or is judged already. How many of us, let's just be honest, we think that judgment, the big deal judgment, is something that we're going to, when we die, it's something in the future. And the judgment will be based off what we, uh, how, how well we, you know, served our neighbors and how well we loved, you know, people. And there's going to be a future judgment concept. Now, I totally believe, Paul clearly talks about it, that there's going to be a realization, and it's even called judgment. But what Jesus is saying is like, look, there's already a judgment that has come. And the judgment is death. Sin entered in by Adam and Eve, and the judgment is this, death. I've come not to judge, not to condemn, because humanity already is. I've come to set you free from it. And so that's exactly what 18 is saying. He who believes, you actually escape that condemnation. You leave that condemnation behind. But he who does not believe remains condemned, remains judged, judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. So those who believe are not judged, but those who do not believe, they already are judged. And that is the sin of Adam, the entire Adamic race being plunged into death. But it is those who believe, those who say yes, I need this. I know I need this. This is my only hope for life. Those exit that condemnation. They exit that judgment of death. But those who don't perish, being judged already. Um, in, in John 5, a few chapters later, he says it again. Exactly what he just said. Uh, yeah, verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. And so we're worried even as Christians about a future pending judgment, and it can't be much clearer. It's not even black and white. That's red and white. You know what I'm saying? And it's com there is no what What is to be judged? Sin is to be judged. Well, that's what the cross did. And so we have already entered into this life. Yeah. seems like when people saw Jesus, that's when they saw the Spirit of God. Yeah. I know for myself, I saw the Spirit of God in a few select people that I had never seen other people mm. that just have a different life, mm -hmm. which um, it just seems like um, you'll see the spirit of God in other people, which is attractive. And I believe it seems like God's Holy Spirit speaks with that attraction. You know, somebody um, who is under that judgment, um, 
whatever through life is brought upon that path of this person mm-hmm. who um, is not judged, has the Son of God in them, the Spirit of God. Um, like the example of Philip, I guess, or the Ethiopian. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but... Um, Well, what, what makes what's wonderful to me is what if we as believers, we, what if we really not only see this truth that, that God's done, there is no more counting of sins. There is no more, because they were all counted. And so we're not living in fear of if I do that, then he's going to do this. But we actually get to understand our new heart, our righteousness, our holiness. And we begin to actually play the game of life as who we really are then the Spirit of God coming forth through us and His manifesting His His fruit of love, joy, peace. I mean, it just it sounds wonderful. I think that's exactly what it is. It's not supposed to be burdensome or cumbersome or effort driven or fear driven. It's the life of Christ within, and it makes all the difference in how we view and 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 see life and how we view and see God and how we view and see each other. Because if I see each one of us as just a compilation of sins, then I'm, not, I'm certainly not seeing what really is. But what if I saw even the heinous of the heinous? Yes, in this world there's consequences and there's judgments in this world, sure. But what if I saw the heinous of the heinous as, yes, dead still in their iniquities, but nothing other than simple faith in Jesus that keeps them from being as I am, one with the Father. I think it just changes everything. I think that's how Paul can say he's reconciled you wicked Corinthians. I mean, remember, Corinth was a wicked, wicked town. He's, he's not counting even your sins, you wicked Corinthians, doing all these drunken orgies in front of the temples to entice the gods to, to rain water upon the crops. He's not even counting your sins. Be reconciled to him by faith in him. It changes everything. You, Christianity goes from judgmental, cold, pretentious to something you actually want to be a part of <laughs> because it's life in Christ. Um, cool. Any other thoughts on, on this? A little pass? Yeah. Well, in, in First John, I just went there because it kind of like he's kind of tells you what to believe, how you know you've believed it, and then like what you look forward to having believed in the Son. Mm-hmm. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have love, but that God has loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And a couple of verses later, he says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And then like, this is the great part. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. And it's like, believe that God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Mm-hmm. You'll know that he's abiding with you because he'll send you his spirit. Like, I don't feel like God gives you the spirit and it's like, yeah, we'll see if you figure that one out. Right. I remember the night I was saved, it was just like, yeah, just peace and rest, and then you, you know, hear a bunch of things and you feel bad about yourself again. But right. like that first, right. 
initial experience of the Spirit of God. Right. It's like you know. Yeah. And then the the result of all of that is that you have confidence in the day of judgment. So whether yeah. that's a future thing or just like this condition of the world. Right. Like how do we know that we are born in the spirit? Well, are you confident that yeah. you're fine? Right. Because your faith made you right. and that's of feeling fine. And that's where love is perfected. Where love the, his love towards us when it's perfected, meaning when it comes to maturity. The word perfected, it has the idea of when it's made mature, when it's matured in us. His love towards us, it's maturing us so that we stand confident in the day of judgment when we are seen for as we really are. Because he says, because as he is, so are we now in this world. So we're not trying to get more like him. We've been born of him. And just as my children share my DNA, we share the very DNA of the Father because we're born of him. And as we receive this love and be more confident in this love towards us, that brings us to a maturity to say, you know what? I'm not going to live in fear. There is no fear. Perfect love, also 1 John, cast off fear. And so I don't live in fear. I live in the confidence of what he has said. And if I am uh, cast off, it's going to be because he failed to keep his promise because I'm just trusting in what he has said, which produces a confidence. It's, it's, uh, it's very wonderful to transition from fear-based Christianity to a confidence in Christ because that transcends into every piece of life because how many of us, we'll, we'll, we'll end on this, how many of us go through life so worried about what we think other people think about us? Right? I mean, we just go through, we, we, we don't, we're not just worried about what they think about us. We're worried about what we think they think about us. I mean, it just gets twisted. It gets messed up. Insane in the membrane. Like we're so a paralysis by analysis because we're so concerned. We're living in fear of what people think about us. Well, here's what the gospel does. It sets us free because it tells us what the God of the universe, you know, the one who flung the stars into space, it tells us what he thinks about us. He says, as I am, so are you now in this world. Yes, sin still lives in the flesh, but you are not in the flesh. You are in me. Yes, you can choose to walk by the flesh when you get stupid. Yeah, you can, but you're not going to find life there. You're not going to find peace there. You're not going to find joy there. But you can do that if you want. It's already forgiven, but you're not going to find life there. You're not going to find peace. But if you realize what I not just say about you because it's not just that's how he sees us but we're really the wretched worm but he just sees us as clean. That's not it. He's actually made us. We actually are clean. And as we take confidence in that, then when we stand in judgment, you know, when it's realized for what really is, it's like, hey daddy. Like little John Jr. running into JFK's office, hiding underneath the resolute desk. By what right? Son. The son. And that's who you are. So the enemy likes to mess with us because he knows the frailty of this little gray matter thing called the brain. But as we trust in who we really are by birth, which comes from faith, trusting it begins all of that fear, all that anxiety, all of that. But what does he really think about me? It gets answered. 
and we begin to really know, mature in that love to a point of confidence. It's awesome. That's Christianity. And that's what I want to be a part of, right? Uh, so I'm sure there's a lot of questions. Our time has expired. We'll, you know, look at these some more if you guys want to. Um, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Is this, is this helpful? Is this good? Is this beneficial? Is this scratching itches? Or is it a waste of time? Is this, you know, foolishness? Let me know because I don't certainly want to waste our time. But I also want to, um, these are questions that come from you. Assumedly, I don't know, unless you sign it. I don't know exactly who it comes. Could be from some, you know, guy in Russia who hacked into our server. I don't know. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you that we don't even now have to worry about where you are and about where we are. We are in you and you are in us. And that is not our, 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 our um, managed by our efforts whatsoever. It is a promise declared by you. For you could not swear by anything greater, so you swore by your own name. And God cannot lie. And so, Father, for this promise to fail, you must fail. And if you can fail, then what in the world are we putting our hope in you for? So we fling our full faith, our trust in you. I, I think it was Peter said, where else can we go for the words of life? So God, I just thank you for these saints. I thank you for this message, this word of rest that is sharper than any two-edged sword that divides the inner from the outer, the bone and marrow, the soul and spirit. It divides them. It creates a clear division between the body and the spirit and the spirit has been made new. The soul has been made new. The inner man is new by the work of Jesus. And we enter into that rest by faith in him. And I just pray, Father, that the confidence that grows in our soul, in our spirit, in the reality of what is, I pray that that would slowly over a lifetime leak its way out into this world so that we become less anxious about what coworkers and about friends and neighbors and even fellow saints are saying or thinking or what we think they're thinking about us because yeah that can hurt but what does that compare when the God of the universe who said let there be and it was who calls into being that which exists what can that compare to what you say about us for you know the truth and that truth is what sets us free so, Father, we thank you. We pray that you would continue to work in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great week, guys, and um, we will uh, see you guys again uh, next week. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. 
This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.